What's going on, everybody? It is the Willie Ashford from the Black Culture Podcast. I know you're ready to get into this interview, but before you do, make sure that you like and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Apple, Google, and Spotify at the Black Culture Podcast. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. Peace. Peace. Host two. And since you've been to more than 100 countries, I'm sure you got a little bit of like everything to to be able to toast to. So give us your bestest toast. I honestly, I'm just in a space where I just want to toast to good health and the continuance of peace. So. <laughs> All right. I, I can dig it. Cheers. All right. So. Where should we get started? I've I've been combing through your videos and your website and everything, and I'm like, it's a very, very interesting person. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a trip back for our, our audience who doesn't know you um, and kind of get start where you, where it all started for you, because you're 30 now, right? Yes. Started traveling at 20, but we want to go back to before you became this global, iconic author entrepreneur artist pan-africanist like before all of that started like what was life growing up for you because I believe you were raised by a single father right yeah I was raised by a single dad so life for me was just um traveling around a lot moving a lot um but I had a father who let me like basically do what I want to do in the sense of um there was always opportunities. Like if I wanted to do ballet, he'll put me in ballet. If I wanted to, um, you know, sing, he would give, he would put me in a, in a singing situation. So um, being that he was a single father and I was his first child, there was obviously a lot of more attention on me. Um, he actually taught me how to read and how to write before even going to kindergarten. So teachers were always amazed. So um you know, even though it was a, it's, it's not an ideal situation, um, he made the best out of it. Um, he taught me everything from how to do my hair to how to cook, so to how to dress. So, you know, it was just me and him. So I know that there aren't a lot of stories or a lot of things that, that show how single fathers are. I mean, finally, Kevin Hart has a movie that's coming out. So just think of just single mother, uh, you know, just giving their child all that they have. So my childhood was, I didn't get everything that I want, but I had everything that I need and a little bit of what I want. So um, I didn't really have a bad childhood other than moving around and having to make new friends everywhere I went. So, Hold on really quick. I just want to shout out because she said something there. And Alex, you and I talk about it, the single fathers. So just, and that's a great way to kick it off right there because definitely, you know, fathers kind of get a bad rap. So that's something I definitely wanted to like dig into, like just being raised by like your father. Like they say there's certain things that a mom can't teach, like that a mom can't teach a boy. But I believe there's certain things that a dad can teach a daughter because nine times out of 10, a girl falls in love with what her dad was. So if your dad was a hard worker, if your dad was had drive ambition, more than likely you're going to fall in love with what that what that trade is so can you dig just into like a little bit more like what your dad was like yeah so um my dad was actually in the air force and when um he found out that my mom was pregnant he got out um 
And so he was just one of those guys who, you know, you know, I may have saved his life, you know, so, you know, he slowed down and he was just always working for the betterment of us. He is super smart, like ridiculously smart. So, you know, he always was working. He always did what he needs to do to put film on the table. He, um, he did not want to raise me in the way that his parents raised him, you know, old school way. So he, he talked to me probably more than parents should talk to their kids about what's going on in the day to day. Like I was like five years old, like knowing like what bills were and how to do this and how to do that. Because um, I was basically the woman of the household because after me came my brother who's three years younger than me, but I was still the woman of the house, you know, um, in, in that sense. So um, he was, he was 24 when he had me, you know, he, he wasn't a parent. So he just wanted to teach me everything that his parents didn't teach him. He just wanted to make sure I was prepared. Um, there was a lot of times that we got into it, but he always told me, he said he wanted me to have a little sass because he didn't want these men to run over me. Um, he always just gave me the game. He was just always straightforward. Um, the only difference about him though, um, he was a very, he was a very emotional guy. So I tell him all the time, I was like, man, <laughs> I make this joke. I say, that's probably why I'm not gay. Cause you were so emotional, <laughs> right? Cause when you have no women in your life, you're just kind of like, you know, just looking at men all day, every day. Um, he was an entrepreneur. He was self-employed for a long time. So that's how I learned all the things he was paying me on the table at 11 years old to like do his, um, real estate loan documents. Cause you know, our generation, well, my generation, millennial, we type faster than the older people. <laughs> so I was doing that. Um, he would sacrifice a lot for the things I wanted to do. I, um, wanted to, be um in movies and so like I remember one whole summer he was just taking me to work on movie sets in Los Angeles when he should have been you know at, at work because I was living in California at the time um but he's also someone who who wanted more for me even when I didn't want it <laughs> so you know um it's interesting being raised by a man because I mean obviously there's going to be disconnects you know you have those those points where you start your period and you know you fall in love with the guy and he's realizing that he's not the only one anymore. So, I mean, all those things, um, I think he handled them really well. He's still my advisor today. Um, he's always been someone I can talk to, to the point that he knows like how many men I've had sex with and who they were. Cause I would talk to him about things like that and never bothered me. So, um, I'm, not all women are blessed to have fathers who they can be open with, but he was, he's a very easygoing, chill um, guy. <laughs> so Father's Day is coming up, and I thought it was very important to get that. It was very important for, for definitely for the podcast to get you to speak on your father. Um, I've never, I'm be honest with you, I've never really heard a woman speak on their father to like the way you just did. So that's all I got, Alex. I just wanted to make sure I got that for us. Well, also, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. There's, I, I do understand that in the media, you are always not portrayed as the best, but um, I think that you deserve all of your flowers. I think that um, you deserve all of the barbecues. <laughs> I think you all are amazing. I think that without you, um, 
men and women, you know, that you are raising, we wouldn't have a lot of the direction that we have now. And I want you to know that you are loved and you are so influential, regardless of how the media wants to portray, especially Black men. Um, I hope that you understand your role is so important and that you are a king for raising us. That was awesome. That was awesome. So Willie's a dad, just just FYI. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I was, um, I took my father to uh, brunch for his birthday this past weekend. And the place that I took him to for Mother's Day, you literally have to book it a year in advance. Like I ain't even talking about six months. You got to book it a whole year in advance. For Father's Day, you can walk in <laughs> you know what I'm saying wow. like that's that's how much dads are not loved and appreciated because most of the time fathers you know I think the only difference is that where dads do enjoy is because they get the weather right like in Cleveland it snowed on Mother's Day like literally actually snowed when my mother called me she said I ain't going nowhere <laughs> so we had to wait to the next week for me to take her but it's just really interesting you say that because fathers really don't get enough credit and and more so you really don't hear about single fathers you mostly hear about single mothers because there's especially in black culture there's so many of them so what would you say um being raised by a single dad the three most important lessons that he taught you in life um i mean you you said it earlier hard work right so you can have a mother and you see her working hard, but there's always going to be things that she doesn't have to do because society views her as a woman versus when you have a father, like you got to get it. Like it's, it's no one backing you. Like it's you and that's it. And so that's the mentality that I have. Like you just have to get it. I don't depend on anyone else. Like I know at the end of the day, I'm the only one who has me. So I would say that. Um, also just, just being a leader and I've taken on some of his leadership style as well I've noticed like I'm a real chill leader like if I'm managing an event I'm like hey y'all like you all are adults you know what you came here to do I'm not going to micromanage you and things like that and my dad is a very is a very chill leader like that like he gets the results um but he's not going to be hounding you and being all catty and just just you know having no integrity basically um third I mean, it's basically just how to run a household. Oh, I would say those are the three most important things, um, especially that, you know, made me, you know, made my life so much easier. So, um, yeah, I know some people think men can't run households, but they definitely can. <laughs> well, I always say that if you give a woman, a, I mean, there's certain things men just can't do, but I think women just make it better. But I always say if you give a, a woman a house, she'll turn it into a home. But in your case, it was a little different. And I'm, I guess I'm a little curious to know, you said he left the military when he found out your mom was pregnant. So I would say 99% of the time when a couple breaks up, the woman usually keeps the children, but I guess it was different in this case. Yeah, she wasn't ready to be a mother. Um, she had her first child at 17, which is my older sister. And she, you know, sometimes you're, you're just, still trying to live that life that you kind of lost for a little bit because you had a child so young so um my dad didn't want to be with her anymore and but he still wanted me in um his life so um 
she was she was spiteful and so she put me in a, in you know one of the little bag um, basket thingies and um she dropped me off on his doorstep rang the doorbell and ran back to the truck and trying to see when he opened the door she wanted to see what he was going to do like if he was going to take her back and he told me that he said when he saw me he said well all right it's just gonna be me and you and he brought me in and that was that and she was just kind of like dang like he didn't want me he just wanted the baby and that was it shout out to him man like real like listen man he the real mvp in the words of kevin durant shout out to him man like honestly like you're like wow so let me ask you this okay because we've talked about your dad how do you think looking at where you where you're at now how much different do you think it would have been if your mother was in the picture or if yeah, if it was vice versa, how much different do you think you would be the person you are now? No, sadly. Um, so my mom, she came around sometimes. Like it wasn't like she was just absent. Um, but the time she came around were like to try to reconcile with my dad. And um a lot of the times it just it just didn't work. And so like the 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 police officers or the judge, they will always ask, like, who do you want to go with? And I knew around three and four years old that she just wasn't going to provide the opportunities that my father could like financially and even with time you say you put it at what age like three three or four that's amazing wow (laughs) i mean you just you just see patterns like and i guess i get that from my dad my dad's very observant i guess i got it too like you just see patterns like like quickly like for example like if you know as a child that your dad has you on a schedule to eat dinner by seven but your mom is so busy doing whatever she wants to do. She doesn't remember to give you dinner until nine. You pick up on things like she's not really there with me. Like she, I don't know where she is. I don't know what she's doing, but at dad's house, this would have been happened. I would have been in the bed by eight. Like she's not responsible. Like, yeah, I want to stay up till nine. I want to stay up till 10, but I know that my father is putting me in bed because if I don't wake up on time, I'm going to be fussy and I don't want to be fussy going to school. Like it's just common sense things that you pick up on, you know? And so, yeah. So what do you make about all these single mothers who use, and I'm related to a couple, so I know how this goes, who use the children as leverage against the dads? I hate it. I've been in those predicaments um, to the point where the society is so rigged that even police officers or judges, they can't believe when a child wants to go with their father. Like I literally had to bawl and cry and fall out on the floor to let them know that I'm not going with her. So it just, it just sucks that it has to be that way because you have a child who's confused. And if you don't have a child that's confused, you have a child that hates one of the parents. And that's, that's never the way it should be so um I think anybody women or men who use their children against them I feel like they're childish they never deserve to have the kid in the first place like I understand people make mistakes with who they lay down with but yeah I that's not a very adult like um you know behavior I I hate it yeah, uh, I was reading this T-shirt the other day. It said uh, child support is for the children, not failed relationships. But, you know, Alex, yeah. like a lot of dudes do that oh. to women, too. Like they like 
to try to have like a hold on a woman, like whatever mistake they made, they feel like, okay, I'm going to purposely get her pregnant just to make sure I still have some type of connection or I still have some type of hold on. So like women do it too, but I, like, I've heard, actually heard guys have conversation like. Oh, maybe trapping women all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. They do. But we're talking about when you go to court right so you don't really yeah, see no, men taking a woman to court to get your child support just to be able to pay her bills like that money is for the child it, to me when it comes to child support i my thoughts on it is if you're not doing anything for the child and it's now a, a matter of fact that we have to go to court because you won't give anything then you know what there's nothing i can say now if you are doing things for the child and she still want to take you to court for child support i think that's silly um, because not times out of ten, you'll probably get less money from the child support than whatever you're giving. All right. um, let me let me give you this one because this happened to a very close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Great father, taking care of his child. I'm not gonna say any names. Don't say taking care of the child, paying all her bills. Right, mother not even working, taking care of everything. She took pictures of his IG account to show his cars and his home and his clothes and all that stuff to court has nothing to do with that That has nothing to do but 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 see that's what i'm talking about is things like that i i'll give you another one that's even worse the man and a woman are living together he's paying all the bills she's not working she has him on child support and they will not reverse it think about that listen the system is rigged i feel like especially we can get into especially with black fathers and then you know if you don't pay the child support then now you in jail or now you're on probation or your check is getting like garnished like or they suspend your license your or license. You, they take your past the passport that like, i don't get what does your license have to do with child support that i, I just don't understand that yeah it's 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 so many systemic racist policies that are out there that i know are specifically targeting um men of color but you know I hope to never be in that situation because I don't think I would want anybody in my business about what's going on between me and my child and whoever I'm with. But uh, yeah, child support is effed up in, I would say, 80% of the time. (laughs) So that brings me to my next question. Can you see yourself as a mother? I've never wanted kids. Um, I raised my siblings. So, you know, you heard the story about me and my brother. Then my dad tried to do it again with my mama had my sister and ended up the same way. Um, so I've helped raise my brother and my sister. Um, my older sister, she was a teen mom as well. So I helped raise my nephew. Um, I have a nephew that still live here with me now. So um, I'm done raising kids. I have said that if, you know, the guy I'm with wants to adopt or he wants to do a surrogate, that's we'll 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 talk about it but there's a lot of stipulations that'll come with it because i'm not going to stop my life um obviously the child will come along with me and i will nurture it but um there would be a lot of stipulations to it like the child would like be on the road with me (laughs) but that but that's dope you know what um not you know kids or not but traveling a child early because i want to get into your travels um First, I want would like to know from a young age, because it seems like you had it all figured out from 12 or 13, what fueled your passion to see the world? Yeah, so um, I never wanted to go to college. I, I never saw 
the point in it. Like everything I do now, I still could do it without a degree that I have. And I just made a deal with my dad. Um, I was just like, I have to study abroad. Like I just have to get out of the States. Like I just, I just have to go somewhere. You know, you watch, just you just watch movies growing up and you wonder how different people live on different sides of the, on the earth. So um, he told me, okay. And so um, when I got to college, my second year, I studied abroad in London um, in the UK for a summer. And then the next year I studied abroad in Ghana. And so those those catapulted me into just wanting to see more places because you you start to realize like the world is like super big and a lot of people over here like literally just living their life outside of yours so you know um that just catapulted my traveling so you speak in my language right because week in and week out on this podcast I tell people all the time and Alex and myself even some other guests we have got into it that college right <laughs> so for you to say that you realize like it's no point of me going like I think if people realize what they want in life and they be like you know what do I need to go to college for this for one I think college is set really to get people of color in debt because most most of us if you look at history we've made business off of trades off of stuff like that so I wish and I hope like a lot of young people, younger people coming up has that has that mindset. Like you knew, like it's I know a lot of people that go to college just to party too. No, they're not going there to, to get no degrees, no nothing. They just the college life. So I just want to tip my hat to you for just acknowledging that and realizing that at that age, because you could have felt pressure and did your dad pressure you to go? Like I still had to go. It was like still not an option. Like I always knew from a young age that high school was like middle school and then college was going to be like my high school because he comes from that. He he He's generation X. He was born in the late 60s. So he comes from that where he thinks where just because you have a college degree, you're going to get a job because that's how it was for him. But I was trying to tell him even before I got to school, I was like, no one's doing that anymore. Like they want you to have all this experience. I'm like, how am I going to get it? I just got out of college. So I have 40K in student loans that are just sitting there. Like I just defer them every year because I'm like, it was a scam because how do you give me a loan? I went to college. I graduated high school early. So I went to college at 17. So you allowed me to have a loan at 17, but you would never allow me to have a credit card at 17. And it's a pyramid scheme because the definition- Oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Man, right. that is crazy. The definition of a pyramid scheme is you put money into something and you don't get anything back. That's exactly what happened. When I got out of college, it was during the recession. There was no job. So I've been self-employed ever since. So it was the pyramid scheme. I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> now you speak in Alice language. Go ahead. <laughs> no, nah, she's right. Because we actually talked about that with Knock and Dobbins. She, they said the same thing. You can go to college at that age, but you can't even get a credit card. And then the other thing about it is that you're given a credit card to an inexperienced individual who has, who knows absolutely nothing about credit. They don't teach credit in school. They don't teach financial literacy in school. So like a person who's financially literate, they're going to look at paying that much money to go to school, taking out all these loans, taking out all these lines of credit. And they're like, this makes absolutely no financial sense whatsoever. And if the goal, if the goal is to go to college and make money, why would I put myself in debt first? Like that makes, that makes absolutely no sense. That's a whole other podcast right there, brother. Yeah, it is, man. But if you really think about it, you got to think how 
we're programmed to always think about college and you like what you talk about as far as trade school, you can literally come out of high school working, making 20 something bucks an hour, which is way more than a college student make, but you're right. That's a whole nother episode, (laughs) but I want to dig into your decision because you said it was something that a lot of us don't do. You studied abroad. Mm -hmm. So the first time, was that your first time out of the country when you went to London? Yeah, first time out of the country. Okay, tell tell us what that experience was like. Um, so I chose the UK because I spoke English. I had already told myself I wasn't going to learn a language. Like I don't want to be like lost. Um, the reason why I also chose London first, you know, I've been blessed to have only been to public school, but I've had great teachers like my whole life. And one of my world history teachers, we had to do a um we had to do a project and we had to pick a country and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna be smart about it. And so I'm gonna pick either Canada or the UK. I'm hoping no one gets those because we had to cook a dish to go with it as well. And I was like, all right, I can cook some Canadian bacon or some fish and chips. So <laughs> someone, and I was the third person to go. So I was like, oh, my chances are really good to pick it. Somebody ahead of me, they picked Canada. I was like, go figure. So I was like, okay, UK is still on the board. So I picked the UK. I did so much research about it that I was just like, I, I think I want to go here. And so I ended up going to, um, I ended up going there and it, it was just different in the sense of, once again, you're, it's a culture shock because you realize that there's so many people in the world and you're like minuscule because you're only like one. And you start really understanding the 7 billion people in the world situation. You also understand that the things that are happening back home, it doesn't matter when you're there because there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you also learn that, <laughs> oh, sorry. My bad, it came out of the thing. I was like, where did it go? And we're okay. not editing that out. Hey, this is real deal. Um, you also learn that um people don't like Americans and people think way differently than you and that wait wait hold on hold on we're not gonna skip past that like you didn't say what you just said why don't people like Americans um America has done a lot of shady stuff you know and even though you try to explain to them that well I know that I'm an American of African descent they still just clump you in with everyone else (laughs) So that's that. Um, and, you, you know, you kind of learn like who you are as a person alone. And so I, I was able to learn that, oh, man, like I like being alone and that I could I could live my whole life like this. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just really more like an inner experience on like what you thought you couldn't do, like you what you thought you could not do, you actually could do or like what your family thought you couldn't do, you could do. Cause they were so worried about me, but I was never worried about them. <laughs> so yeah, it was just an eye-opening experience is to learn that, you know, there are things outside of America. Ghana. So you, you went to Ghana. Now. Well, hold on first, before we get into that, I got to talk about these people who don't like Americans, right? Now, was it just the the Europeans as far as the, 
white folks or was it like all Brits? Um, like, no, like just people in general. I'm trying to hold it up straight, but no, like most of them understand, but like some of them wouldn't tell me because I'm a, I'm a female, right? So some people like are attracted to me, so they wouldn't tell me those things to get, to get make me mad. But um, America, <laughs> America is like, we're like, the bullies of the world and we think we're so cool because we have everything i mean it's kind of true but you know no you're not supposed to say it you know um and we are we're big hypocrites in the sense of we'll say that's an international atrocity but then we'll do it to our own people right you know genocide and things like that we just won't call it that we'll call it something else so um yeah <laughs> did you did you notice difference in culture when it comes to black people well i say black because that's what they call us here but to melanated black brits mm-hmm, really they do yeah, that's interesting <laughs> i thought they honestly just thought they called them british but um what did you notice difference in culture as far as how they interact with each other and how they interacted with you versus how it is back home it was the same um it was the same as here. You have to understand that they're all still a part of the African diaspora. So, I mean, Britain was the a major slave trader. So a lot of people who are up there are there from slavery, slavery or there because they came from, you know, the islands, the big um, islander population up there. So um, it was, it was actually, it was no different. And they don't, didn't even know I wasn't from there until I opened my mouth. So um so talk about ghana how what what was that experience like for you was that your first time in uh, africa yeah like it's crazy now that i have like a nonprofit where we're always like in the diaspora and in and on the continent in africa because i i hated my experience there like i just couldn't at the time while i was there i couldn't understand why i didn't like it it wasn't until like a few years later that i understood why i didn't like it um Ghana was interesting though in the in the fact that you understand that even though you were you're not from the continent per se, it's still in your DNA. Like no matter how many, you know, generations haven't been there, little things that they do, we do as well. The way we cook, they cook the same thing as well. Um, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they they signal, just little things. It's like you realize that um no matter how people try to take your culture away, it's already embedded in you. It's already been passed down. So that was very interesting. Um, what I didn't like about it is I realized that Africa, that our history, people of African descent, we don't always get the truest history in the sense of I had always been taught about like, um, you know, slavery and the white people and all that. And then when I got there to Ghana, I started realizing like it was a two person job. Like they sold us as well. And so it was just hard trying to grapple with the fact that they were welcoming us back home because I went with a group, but they were like also part of the reason why I was taken. And it's, it's hard trying to like, I don't know. And also, I feel like they were also only like really happy to see me because I had money. 
you know, the American dollar is like way more. And I was just kind of like, I just wonder if I was a broke diaspora and like, would I have gotten this much love? So it's just so many things that I thought about being there. Like I was, I was, of course I was happy to be there, but then I was also like just torn in my mind. Like the, the group that I went with, they were just like on that high, like they're in the motherland and you know where our ancestors are from. And in my head, I was like, we don't even know if we're from Ghana. Like <laughs> we were taken from so many places. So <laughs> it was just like started my, you know, um, learning for myself journey and not just, you know, accepting what people are, what people tell me. It's funny. We had a, uh, a, another artist on here by the name of Yazra St. James and um, her father is from Ghana. And she said the exact same thing you said, as far as about the dollar going further. And, you know, it was just like her, that allowed her ex experience when she went for the first time to be so much better. Um, but basically the same same thing you said as far as it's like you know you know there's a that whole oh my god I'm back home but also it's like you don't really know how you're really received if you're not because it's it's really interesting when you talk to somebody and I know I'm sure you know tons of people from Africa you talk to somebody from Ghana you talk to somebody from Ni Nigeria talk to somebody from South Africa um talk to somebody from east africa you get this very tribal type of uh position that they like have to stake their claim and it's just like you think we're all the same it looks like we're all the same but are we really all the same yeah we're i tell people we're, we're just cousins um i just say that because you know you think about your cousins that you have here and you know that yeah you come from the same bloodline but you you're your own person like you're <laughs> basically different but sure the same at the same time so yeah you know throughout my travels I learned that um you know I'm I hope but, but it's probably not the case I hope that my ancestry is East African because I love East Africa they're more my personality but you know if not oh well <laughs> so so you haven't done your DNA test I've done it, but the problem with those, I really don't trust them all the way because they haven't surveyed the whole continent. They've only surveyed like some of West Africa, some of Southern Africa and Eastern Africa, North, like not really central stuff like that. And then when you get your survey back, it, it says Bantu people. People don't understand there's thousands of Bantu tribes. So you're, you haven't helped me narrow anything down. You just threw me back on the continent where I know that my ancestry's from. <laughs> That's funny. So I'll tell you how I did mine. I didn't take a test, but we traced a, our tree, our family tree, and I got a lot of cousins here, so we've been doing that, but I got a buddy who's from South Sudan, and so I remember sitting with him one day, and we were just talking, and he was like, man, yeah, he's like, I know exactly where you're from, because I was showing him pictures of Africans all over Africa, mm -hmm. and he was like, this person is from this tribe, that person is from this tribe, and I had to answer it, but he knew already, because he grew up there, he's like, yeah, I know exactly where your mom is from, because he knows my parents, he said, I know exactly where your mom is from, I know where your father is from. So that's kind of how it's like, I guess if you live there, it's there. It's kind of like, we know somebody is from the South. We know somebody is from the West coast. We know somebody is from the East coast or whatever. So um, I, I think I would probably trust that a little bit more. It's so mixed that just looking at me, when I go to Ethiopia, I, they think I'm from there, even in other places in Africa. I've even been stopped in America. I look Ethiopian, but 
then you sometimes I go to Ghana and they're like, well, we have like Ghana, I could see Ghana features. And when I was in Benin, they were like, well, you look like you're from Benin. I was like, listen, my tree is so mixed. I can look like a bunch of people. So I'm just going to let y'all make it. <laughs> well, well, we all start in East Africa anyway, though, right? I mean, yeah, we want to like really be technical. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Start in Ethiopia, Kush. Um, uh, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I guess, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. Yeah. I was talking to a young lady from Guyana and she was like people tell me I look like I'm from here I look like I'm from there I was like you just you just look human that's that's what it is Ethiopian and Cape and Cape Verde they think I'm Cape Verde and I just left Cape Verde actually and I was like nah it's it's okay <laughs> that's that's funny so Ghana um that was your second country yes mm -hmm. no okay. no it was my third because when I was in the UK I went to France for a bit oh France um then from there you just took off right from ghana you said i want to do this for real and i'm gonna hit when, when did that 100 country goal come into play um it came into play last year like right before covid like literally like a few days before the lockdown i was coming i got back home two days before the lockdown and i believe i was on country 88 and Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. So you have been hitting all these countries and you didn't actually have a goal? No, it was never, it was just to just go. I take a sabbatical wow. here. So it wasn't until I hit country 88 and I realized that um, at the time I was 28, I was like a month away from turning 29. And I was like, I can do this. Now, understand this before I knew COVID was going to happen. I was like, oh, I could knock this out in like a month or two if I just like, you know, go on the sabbatical. So, um, Co that summer, actually, even though it was COVID, I went to two more countries. So I was like, all right, I'm at 90. I was like, I have to find a way to like hit these countries before I turn 30. Like I have a year, I'll figure it out. So um, yeah, I figured it out. Actually, no, when I came home, I was at 92. And so during that summer, I went to two more to make it 94. So I only had six countries to do. Um, it was a challenge, but I made it work. <laughs> wow that's that's incredible most people don't hit 10 and uh you did 100 i'm sorry w w willie you got something so no i wanted to get into um by her going visiting different countries so in the u.s you see a lot of different sized people that's the polite way to say it <laughs> i'm trying to be polite man so man bro just say it you see a lot oversized. of big you see a lot of oversized people right and <laughs> i tell people all the time like yo if you just change the way you eat like i think we have some of the best food but also some of the worst food because so all the stuff they add to it and a lot of people think i'm gonna go to the gym do this like yes don't get me wrong going to the gym absolutely helps but if you just change the way you eat add more fruits and vegetables and like cut out all the carbs like you will see results and i don't think like in all those other countries i don't know you explain it. i've never really been over there i don't think they over there trying to be bodybuilders i just think their food is more pure their food is more real they don't have like i thought that until this last trip i just came back from oh do tell um, no like really Green, green food is just now becoming a thing in most of Africa. So like if you're in the green industry and you want to make some money, go into Africa within the next three years. So I was in West Africa and I actually got sick. 
and I was sick for a while because of the food. Um, there's not a lot of vegetables there. The vegetables that are there, you may probably not want to eat them. So it's basically, basically a bread, meat, and fruit diet. They just look so healthy because they're always working. Like everything is labor. Um, their lifespans are not long. And it's not just because of poverty. Literally, like a lot of the food that they eat is either old or just not, not formed in the way that we form it in the West to make it last longer um they also put a lot of things a lot of spices and you know fats in their food like understand that their food is our food in the sense of soul food is just a watered down version of what african food was well or what african food is you know we, we brought it over here with us um now in europe yeah it's different obviously that's a western world country in latin america they do a lot of more vegetables but their food isn't always good either because everything is like fried now asia they're more conscious and oceania as well but um yeah i i, I thought that too but i realized there's only certain places that you can have a whole continent but understand that what's happening at the bottom of the continent is not the same thing happening at the top of the continent so that food isn't getting there as well so um a, that a lot of the problems that i learned about while I was there with my nonprofit was they kept talking about the food and I, and I was just like, Oh man, I didn't know that. <laughs> so who had the best food? Um, like that I've had, or this past trip I, I went to. Like you've been to over a hundred countries. Who's okay, had the I best love, food? I'm biased. So I love Peruvian food because their chicken is out of this world and just everything just tastes so fresh, their fruits, their veggies. I love Brazilian food. Um, I look, I'm a fan of plantains. I love Italian food because I like bread. Um, those are my top. <laughs> it's interesting. So no island food, huh? No, like island food is also so close to African food, right? Like they kept I a lot tell, of their food. I, I tell people that all the time. I said, if you eat, because there's a place here that I go to, there's a Jamaican place and there is an <laughs> African place. And I said, this is almost identical. <laughs> this is almost identical. But I love it so much. That 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 jerk and that curry. Oh man, I live for that. I don't like curry. <laughs> so that um that that does me there. <laughs> so travel is actually trending for black people right now, right? And it has been for us said the past three to five years, but now, especially now since everything's starting to open back up. Um so there's a there's a couple of groups that I'm a part of and, and you hear well one, there's way more women in these groups than than guys, right? And there's this trend with female solo travel. And I'm curious, um, why is it that women travel so much more than men in our in our culture, or does it just seem like that? I just feel like they're just not gonna plan it. Um, I feel like they have the money, but I just I mean, they have a lot going on and they're not, I feel like men are really good multitaskers. <laughs> so you have to understand in order to put a travel itinerary together, like you have to be thinking about a lot of things and be doing a lot of things at once. Um, and then travel also changes a lot. So you'll have to be going in and updating and things like that. So I feel like personally, if a woman plans it for them or if they go to the travel group, like, yeah, they'll definitely go. Um, I also feel like, because I've heard my, my homeboy say it, it's like, they don't want to stop their grind. I think women get to a point where we'd be like, 
I need to self-care. I need to go with my girls and do my thing. And so we'll just leave. And then I also tend to wonder like how many men like actually have passports compared to women, you know? So just a little things like that. Um, maybe just the thought never crossed their mind, you know, but it doesn't mean that they don't want to get one. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. All right. So I'll tell you another trend that's popped up over the past two years or so. And that's this trend of a vacation, right? Not a vacation, but a vacation where you take a vacation with a bay. It's not necessarily though, and I, I need to explain this for the audience just in case they don't know. A vacation, you can have you can go with your bay or you can have a travel bay. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering. When did that become a trend to just have a travel bay? I think when situations became a trend, that's when the travel bay became a trend. I'm not going on a vacation with. So, I mean, you know, some people just want, I feel like some, some people just want to split the expenses. So whatever. Oh, well, and I think I, a lot of people be capped out. Everybody ain't on a vacation. It just sound good, like part of the trend. No, I bro. Seen people post vacation. I ain't seen no pictures of the bay. I seen you, but not the bay. No, bro. That, that is a real thing. And so my question, my thing I have behind it, are women traveling to travel and enjoy themselves, or are they just traveling for the gram? That that's what I want to know. I feel like if a woman posts vac- vacation and there's no photo, it's because she's not serious about him but he paid for the trip so you know it is what it is <laughs> talk to him <laughs> i i i don't know it, it, se- it seems to be a trend I'm, I'm i'm seeing it on my feet every day vacation 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 i mean i've been on a vacation um before i think my first vacation i was 20 and i've never took a vacation since it was horrible uh, i was gonna say up. was it that bad of an experience <laughs> yeah, it was like we're you broke better- up on the vacation almost almost got my own plane ticket and left um so you know luckily it made us stronger but hold on i gotta put us on the uh, on the gallery screen for that one say that again oh the luckily made us stronger (laughs) that part no just the whole like y'all almost broke up on the okay so we almost broke up on the vacation. Um, I mean, you, you learn, you, you see that person 24 hours, right? So you're, you're seeing the true them. And, you know, um, we had some words. I almost, you know, got me a, another flight out of there. I mean, luckily. Um, you mean you almost got you another bay? That's what you, that's what you really want to say. <laughs> oh, I was going to be done. But, you know, we, you know, the next morning we woke up and he, sincerely wanted to have a conversation you know I listened to what he had to say I said we'll probably have to work back up to where we were but you know um luckily it made us stronger but it doesn't always work that way so um I vowed from then on no more vacations <laughs> just by myself. wow so so you you've been traveling so you went to how many countries by yourself so I've been to 105 countries but I went to maybe 80 no, yeah, maybe 85 by myself. So other times I had random, like, you know, siblings or um, a friend here and there from work. Um, so, yeah. What at, what advice would you give to women who may be fearful of traveling alone? Um, I would tell you just go where you think feels closer to home in the sense of like I, when we talked about the UK, like it's very similar to the United States um, or go to 
popular travel spots like don't go off the beaten path like I've been to the Ukraine right so don't go running around doing things like that um there's obviously spots around the world where women are always around so therefore the authorities know they're like for example going to like the Bahamas like we know that girls have retreats there like places in Turks and Caicos or you know um France or Italy or even if you want to talk Africa then you know like Egypt or Kenya places like that like um don't try to run yourself to like like you talked about Sudan <laughs> like and you don't know the customs or things like that don't try to run off to Saudi Arabia right so run off to United Arab Emirates to go to Dubai instead so um yeah there's hot spots where women travel where you'll feel safer so just look for those so and also, don't, don't be going down no dark alleys. Like, girl, just, <laughs> like, don't be taking drinks from strangers. Don't hop in the cab with people you don't know. Yo, I, I actually heard that that happened um, recently in DR, where the guy who may be the Airbnb host may be trying to do the setup. So I would also tell ladies just to be careful, watch your six. And if you don't feel comfortable traveling alone, don't travel alone. Simple. So one of the benefits about stepping outside your bubble, meaning your country, wherever you're from, you get to see a lot of things. You get to see, experience a lot of uh, like music. So there's different type of music. And I think it's just, you get to know people, get to know how others react, how they move. But I want to talk, I want you to explain to us like the different type of, of music you've experienced and you've witnessed by traveling? Yes, yeah, so I went to a salsa class in Colombia. Uh, you know, things like authentically. Um, hear a lot of Brazilian um, take on on rap. I've been to Angola where they're into the samba. Um, no, Kimbizo, I'm probably saying it wrong. Oh, Brazil, I mean samba, because I've I've, I went to Carnival. Um, Calypso down in Trinidad. Um, authentic reggae in Jamaica, um, Afro beats and Afro beats, which are two different things. So Afro beat is like, you know, Fala back in the day. And then Afro beats is like your whiz kid of today. Um, it's Fala or Fela. I always get it wrong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I've heard, um, you know, in Europe, that's when I got introduced to like EDM, things like that. So, um, yeah, just so many different sounds. There's so many different instruments, you know, being in Egypt, you realize like, oh man, like some of these sounds are really good and they can really rap and it's in Arabic. And you're like, oh, this is, this sounds good. Like that's the thing about music. I don't have to know the language to listen to it. You know, when something's good, you know, um, as far as Asian music goes, it's so crazy because I remember being in my hotel in Vietnam and I turned the TV on. I was like, oh, this music is jamming and like their K-pop sounds just like American R&B, right? So also within hearing other music, you also hear the influence of American music, but that at the end of the day, all this music was influenced by the sounds that came out of Africa. So yeah. So my bad. Okay. So you travel a lot. So what is explain something that you went over, you saw, you was like, man, I really wish I could change that. Something that just didn't sit well with you that 
you know that you like you know you're like you know what i want to change that i don't like the way that is i want to be the change or help change that yeah i mean there there's so many things um i mean like it's true like poverty just the kids who are hungry um then you have like you know the way they treat women and it's like menstrual is like a curse basically if they're on their cycle um it you see so much like you said it's like a curse if they're on their cycle yeah it's like they don't want to talk about it or like the girls have to stay home they can't go to school like you can't touch them you can't eat like from the same plate as them like it's just it's it's just crazy stuff that that sounds like the bible yeah that's what i was thinking when she was saying that yeah yeah, so it's so many things or like, you know, you see things that shouldn't have to be, but you know, the leaders are corrupt. I've seen, you know, bribery happen right in my face. I've had someone like literally was like, if you want to go into this museum, you just have to buy me this. And I was dead ass. I was like, no, like, who do you think you're talking to? Like, I don't got to go into this museum that bad. Um, <laughs> so like, I just don't want to be a part of it. So, um, you know, I'm I've been to safari and, you know, you see how there's poachers like killing these elephants for ivory. So it's so many things down from people to animals to, you know, climate change to corruption to these, these leaders dying in power because they're corrupt and it's just an ever ending cycle. So, um, so many things, but for me personally, right now, I'm all about youth empowerment and, um, helping the youth realize that their only way out is making their way out and not depending on the government because the government is not really going to do anything for you. So that's why I have the nonprofit Pan-African Think Tank. Man, the government not doing anything for you. Doesn't that sound familiar? In the highest law in the land, the Senate and the House, and Black people put them there every four years. And I haven't seen anything they've been doing, though. <laughs> yep. Yep. That sounds so familiar. And I want to, so I think that's a good segue. I want to jump into the Pan-African think, think Tank. And, uh, but before I do, I just have one more question about your artistry, because we didn't really delve into it. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about your music, because you sing and rap, correct? Uh, I see. I don't rap, but I, I mean, some people say I do. I tell people I sing and I long talk sometimes. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, because I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was going to be my next question. No, but um, tell us about some of your musical in- influences growing up, because you've been an artist your, your whole life and you've delved in everything from music to film and dance and all of that. So, Tell us how your career was shaped as far as, uh, and I know you told me it was kind of like a hobby, but it looks like it's a little bit more than that. So kind of just just give us a little bit of a walk. Yeah, so um, my dad was a DJ. So growing up, he had all these crates and stuff. And when he used to DJ back in the day, cassette tapes, and, you know, he used to play them. And um, I used to just listen to the radio. I just, I just liked the way R&B sounded. So, you know, in the 90s, huge fan of like, anything that came out of like you know bad boy um missy and timberland anything that came out of that camp um in the destiny child brandy monica like the typical 90s elite and all that um sade of course my dad loves him from sade <laughs> and then um obviously i knew about the greats right so i already knew about you know michael jackson you know diana ross and the screams you know just just a plethora of people 
um, and a little bit old school hip hop. You know, my dad liked Rakim and all that. So um, he had all that stuff. Um, and then like I, at seven years old, Maya came out and she did it for me. Like, I was just like, oh my goodness, like this, this lady is amazing. So just, um, and then after that, I was like really into like in the 2000s, like the whole, everything, whatever was coming out of Murder, Inc. camp. So like, you know, Ashanti and all that really got into A. Marie. Yes, murder. <laughs> yes. Then I started writing because I joined this singing group and they didn't have any, um, anyone to write so I started writing but at this at that time I was getting into like European artists like Amy Winehouse, Jermaine Riley, um, Kareem Bailey Ray, just anything that was coming out of the UK at the time especially and um, I I just had so many influences like I used to I started out like before 10 I was all into hip-hop and R&B and then like I started watching TRL so I got into pop and alternative rock and um, I loved everything. So my music is urban pop. It's just a mix of everything. Um, I had wanted to work at a record label because like, man, if I work at a record label, then I can get my music out there. While I ended up interning at a record label in college and realized that the game is rigged. They already know who they want to win and I don't want to work for a record label. Um, but I still want to put my music out. So um, I started my own label um, called Kids and Ten Music Group and just been doing that ever since. Um, I do urban pop. But now with this latest release, it's Tribal Trill. So it's a mix of, you know, um, Southern sound, Southern beats, African grooves and percussion. And um, all my music, I I don't do any music like the negative music that you hear a lot on the radio now. Um, I just want to have something that my nieces and nephews can listen to and things like that. So the music now is more written in a sense of... Um, teaching people of African descent about their culture but like in a fun way you can group to it so um just trying to put positive music out there they only let a few through the gates you know you have your J. Cole you have your Kendrick every now and then so they can so you can feel like the 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 playing field is leveled but it's not <laughs> so you know um that's where I'm at right now just shot a music video in Togo um, while I was over there in Africa which will be out in July it's called King so basically, you can listen to it already on Spotify or Boomplay, wherever you listen to music, it's there. But basically, it's a song about um, how, basically, I love the fact that people are called, you know, Black men kings, but everyone isn't, doesn't need to be bestowed that title, right? We should just call everyone chiefs because it takes a lot to be a king. And right now, especially, we need kings to push us forward because it's, it's so many people going backwards. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, who is your Who would you say your top five artists that you're crushing on right now? Um, that I'm listening to, like that I really like. Um, I always gotta throw Eric Bellinger in there, and like whatever he does, I'm just like, oh my goodness, he's amazing. Um, as far as writing, I feel like he's my spirit animal. <laughs> That's even a thing. Um, I'm still on this Willow Smith, like this alternative rock situation, this punk pop, whatever she got going on. Um, she's amazing. She's so talented. She can do so much. Um, still jamming that whiz kid, and not because I just came from Africa, but just because no, that 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 album is amazing. <laughs> like he definitely did his thing. <laughs> um, who else I've been listening to? Um randomly jacob Lattimore, um his leo season is like it's so authentically like r&b like to the point where i just like want to write like r&b like he's been amazing um who else have i been listening to 
I feel like that's really it because I always listen to like one person who's not like even as relevant right now. Like I always go back to throwbacks, like regardless. And I've been listening to some Avery. Like she's still so amazing to me even to this day. Especially <laughs> because you know it's about to be summer. She got that song, Why Don't We Fall in Love? That is definitely a summer song. So I'm just trying to prepare myself. <laughs> um, so you being such an R and B girl, I'm shocked you don't have her on that list. No, so I have a challenge with um so when I first listened to her, a lot of her songs were about guys and, you know, basically like the relationship not working out and, you know, she's sad or like, you know, like. Which which I really don't understand because she's only 23. So it's like, how are you all these songs about who? Like who actually wrote this? Right, so like as a woman who is very like, I don't want to say empowered, but as a woman who don't don't take don't take shit from guys, basically. I don't like hearing that all the time. That's like the same reason I don't listen to Drake. Like, it's like the same thing over and over. And I'm like, bro, it's you. It's you. It's not them. It's you. <laughs> so that's why, like, if you finally listen to a female artist, probably someone like Rihanna, right? She's a badass. Like, she gonna say what she had to say. She ain't gonna be crying over no dude. And I feel like music can get into your subconscious. And I don't want to be feeling like whatever her is feeling like, because I've never been through any of that. You know, I'm really. Next thing you know, you mad at the dude that hurt you in third grade. Right. And so I don't like hearing things like that all the time. Like the same reason why I don't listen. Like it's just certain things I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about hurt all the time. I don't want to hear about you know beads and, and holes all the time so i don't listen to cardi b i don't even listen to megan the stallion like i i understand that she grinds but i've, I've never heard of music that's I don't. willie's favorite artist <laughs> yeah so let me he, so, so first he's always talking about cardi b he always talking about it. it's his favorite artist so i think it's safe to say you don't like mary j blast then i like her happy song <laughs> <laughs> they said anthony davis been hurt more than mary j blast but listen so I want to touch on because you brought up Cardi B and I think Alex said did that because he knows I was going to uh, touch on it. I don't like the way if you look at every era, there's been a black woman that's had to be that out here talking about ass and pussy. It was little yeah. Kim. Then it was you had after little Kim, you had a Trina and it was somebody else in between there, too. Then Adina after that, Howard. you had Nick. You said who? Adina Howard. Yep, then you had Nicki Minaj. Yeah, now you got I, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion. Like, I feel like it's like, listen, like, it's good music out here. Like, you don't have, like, who is, you don't have, they don't promote people like her the way they promote, like, a Cardi B. Or, like, it's good music out here that I think is more appropriate for, like, I have a daughter. My daughter is not listening to no damn Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B. Because to me, that puts another label on the black woman like yeah. you you don't see like you don't see taylor swift out here like talking about what's up under her dress and what she gonna do and wop and all of that but i just find it funny that every every generation they make sure they have that black woman that they push like i'm be honest with you listen cardi b is not talented that's just me that's I may get hate over that. She just talks what most dudes like to hear. And they want to make sure they push that image. Because after Cardi B, it's going to be another one. It's going to be another Black woman coming around that's just, they all talking about the same thing. 
mm-hmm. just a different face. And I just think it, they make sure they have that black woman there, but they don't do that to Taylor Swift. They don't do that to like if Cardi B came out with a positive song, do you think it'd be number one on the billboards? Well, no, because she she said that she tried to do that, but that wasn't selling. See? And so she went, you know, the route that she's at that, you know, has garnered her the most money. So um yeah, true. But then I also think it's a responsibility on on us as well. Like we keep falling into into the trap like if people stop making it stop listening to it then you know it it wouldn't be relevant i asked a record a record exec like a few months ago hey we're talking about all this positive music i said yeah but is it only positive because they were trying to hop on the black lives matter train but then afterwards they're going to go back to what they're going to go back to and then he was like yeah like we have to go where the money is being made and you know and he was a black male so it's as simple as that it's called the go along, get along gang. Yeah. Let's talk about the Pan-African think tank. When did that come together for you and what is the mission? Yeah, so I started in 2019. Um, the end of 2018, I just came back from Brazil and I learned that the children in the favelas don't learn history and world geography. I was like, well, it's part of the problem now. You know, it's part of the problem there. You don't know where you come from and you don't even know where Africa is to even point to where, you know, your ancestry is. So just through my conversations of traveling all over the world, I realized that people of African descent, they think they're so different, um, like different to the point that they need to stay separated when actually, yes, we have our differences, but we are more, have more in common. And so I was like, we need to give back to like what Marcus Garvey was trying to do with the Pan-Africanism. And so I was like, Pan-African think tank, um, our mission is to bridge the gap between Africa and the African diaspora through Pan-African forms that assist with research as a means to collectively advocate. So basically, we always have nonprofits going into different places, like telling them what needs to be done. But as a think tank, we want to learn from the people what needs to be done um, because we don't live there. They'll have to sustain whatever we do when we're gone. And so we focus on education and entrepreneurship um, because obviously, like I said before, these they've been taught that the government is going to help them get out of poverty or get out of whatever they need to get out of. But I'm trying to show them like, hey, like it's going to be up to you to do it. So just trying to, you know, push entrepreneurship and uh, let them realize like how important education is and just try to get it um, any means necessary. How important do you think it is for descendants of Africa around the world to visit Africa? I think it's important because I think that they need to go to understand both sides of the story. Um, They also just need to go to see a whole city, a whole village, a whole country of people who just look like them. Um, Like when I'm an African, I come back home. (laughs) When I'm an African, I come back home to the States. I forget that white people exist, right? (laughs) Because like I've been in Africa for so long where like you see a white person here and there. Um, So yeah i think that's just it helps you with a sense of pride right it helps you like with a sense of culture like even if you don't know where you come from in africa at the end of the day you know that you're surrounded by people who look like you so you just yeah we have our differences but you know i feel like if push was to come to shove we would have each other's back like if we ever got pitted against like that i hope that never happens but i'm just saying like <laughs> so yeah i i think it's just important for you to like they say like understand your roots you can be from america all day but understand where your ancestral roots 
actually come from and you will also learn a lot about yourself and why you do what you do or why your family culture is like it is you know you said something and i talk about it a lot which is you said we think we're so different but we're more similar than we realize right and so you probably wouldn't know if somebody's from africa or not unless they spoke or told you their last last name right yeah. um it's funny me willie and uh a guy he grew up with his name is Cecil ikachu he's Igbo, and but willie didn't know i know a little bit about the culture just a little bit and we went to this african restaurant <laughs> we got there he was like man this is not real nigerian food i'm gonna make you guys some real nigerian food like he just he just went off but everything else you would never know because mm -hmm. we're so much alike how do we explain that to our children to africans to americans to islanders to people all over the world who look like us who've been taught and subliminally programmed to think we're different um in fact i even had a buddy of mine he said when they came to this country that's the one from south sudan they told him not to talk to black americans yeah. black right so how do we get that message how do we reprogram -pro our minds to say we're not that different we might have lived in a different country but we're not that different it's, it's it's the books and it's the media like literally if you took away the bad program from the western world and the books wouldn't written by white authors like um we could actually fix that but it's kind of like embedded in the system to the point that what you just said about the situation with you know, with um the student sudanese guy um even like today i had a guy who was like he'll pay my diary which is like or dowry it's basically like the bride price like he was being funny but understand that he only said that is because he sees me as um a person of african descent in the diaspora but of value right so let's say for example the dude in sudan um his parents tell him not to talk to black americans but if you see a black american of value you're going to talk to them because in their head they're not considered lesser than like you know so um it's just really hard because there's so many steps within that. Like I said, um, it's, it's a mental thing. Um, the only thing that I tell people all day, I just point to my skin. I just, I just literally, I say, I just point to my skin and ask them and I say, where do you think I'm from? Okay, now where are you from? And that's, that's it. Like, if you can't understand it off that, then that, that's a problem that, that I can't fix because it's already embedded um and and it's hard to tell people at the end of the day especially africans when they're in america like bro the cop just see that you look <laughs> just like me <laughs> like so whether your last name is this or your accent sounds like this it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so at the end of the day that's why i just i try to just stick with people who understand that who want to be a part of the movement um, because I learned a long time ago that you can't change everybody. That's why we have races still today. Um, you can't change their mindset. They have they have to be um, willing to want to um, be enlightened. You know, it's funny in um, Jewish culture here, they have something. I think I don't know if it's an organization or what, but it's they have it. It's called the birth the birthright. If you are born Jewish, your trip to Israel is already paid for. 
right? So they make sure, I don't know if it's at the age of 13 or before or something like that, but they make sure that you go to Israel to see where all of this started. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to do something like that or help put together something like that for us, because I feel like if our children, like I grew up in a majority white area, but I had a couple of African friends, but back then we knew nothing about Africa. Our parents didn't really teach us anything. So we didn't know anything. So they're coming to school with their culture and we're coming to school with our black American culture. Um, And you hear a lot of this today. You hear a lot where a lot of West Africans who come to this country, they don't like black people because how they were treated um, because of the accents and what we were taught on TV about, about them and whatnot. And so how early do we start that process of teaching? Cause I think we should start when they're five and six years old to start like saying, look, there's people around the world who look just like you, who are, who are just like you. Yeah, that's, that's too late. Um, the reason why I know it's too late is because I remember being in kindergarten at five years old and kids were calling, um, they do the African booty scratcher. Yep. So, yep. so five is too late. Um, actually, um, I actually think like from birth, just just as babies, they can't talk, but they see they see things. So um, I would say at least by three, at least by three, because once you once you send your kid off to daycare or to kindergarten, they're being influenced by so many people. They're no longer in the household at that point. So like just off of that African booty scratcher comment in kindergarten, like for a while, I thought that they just had huts and, you know, spear chuckers and things like that. So um, yeah, as early as possible. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, that's real. Cause that happened when I grew up, like if me and my cousins were trying to rank on each other, whatnot, that's exactly what, what we called each other, not realizing that that's not good to call each other that like that's a derogatory term right um what did you make what did you make of the dynamic and the movie black panther between t'challa and uh i'm trying to think of his name um in jadaka his cousin who we also know is kill kill killmonger one grew up in africa one grew up here and one had so much hatred in his heart because he didn't grow up there. And at the end of the movie, obviously, it's like, I feel like I need to conquer you. What, what did you make of that? Like, when, you know, I don't know if this is something that, you know, you older, you look at things more, more realistically, more logically. And uh, most of the movie, like, Killmonger, I was like, he low-key right like right right (laughs) like i feel you bro like like is is he really the villain like uh, i don't i don't don't think so like (laughs) um and, and 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 that's me having already been to africa to see both sides right so this is not even just like some random connotation um and and to to be honest, like you see how how Killmonger was like willing to get things done, and he wanted it done. And then the, the other guy, um, you know, Chadwick, whatever, he was trying to do the whole peaceful thing, and nothing was getting done. Like that's still in Africa today. Like when I go to Africa to work with these nonprofits, I'm making things happen within the two days that I'm there, and I'm sitting here like, what have y'all been doing? 
And then you start to be like, well, you know what? I don't want to be a black colonizer, right? So they already have white colonizers. Like, it's not my place to step in and do what needs to be done for them. But you start feeling like, well, things could be done differently. <laughs> so, um, and also that was just messed up what happened. So um, I feel like Killmonger actually had a mission, but, you know, T'Challa or whatever, he was already comfortable because he never had to leave. So, um, yep, that's that's exactly <laughs> it. What it, the, the craziest dynamic about that is not only were they first cousins, but it's like he knew where he came from, though, because his father taught him he just hadn't been there. So most of us, we don't know exactly where we come from. And, you know, we didn't we didn't have a dad to actually teach us. And we, we don't actually have somebody to be able to connect to like that. It's the same thing whenever I'm on the continent and I hear this every country I go to. Um, well, they're always like, well, where are you from? I don't know. Why don't you know? What do you mean why I don't know? Like, I don't know because of the path history, you know, let me down. Like my ancestors were sold as slaves. And then you get into the history of slavery and then you have some people who don't believe that Africans sold slaves when clearly they did. And then you have, um, then, then they're also are surprised that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents are from America. And so they look at you sometimes like, why don't you look like us, but you don't have this true connection. And then in my head, I'm like, I don't have the true connection because you never came back and got me, even though I know y'all was making truths back and forth, but that's not my business. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I get it, but I feel like we built this country, right? We mm -hmm. built America. So if you look at somebody who's Nigerian, somebody who's South African, somebody who's Japanese or not, they rep their country. They rep their country. It's not a black and white thing. It's I'm this country. If I'm in Africa, yeah, I'm this, but this is my tribe. But why is it? Why is it now, still in 2021? I can't just tell you I'm American, because that's really what I am. I'm American. And that, and that and that's something that's worldwide. Like even when I'm in Africa talking to Black Africans, for me to say I'm American, I have to tell them the story about how I'm American. Like they can't believe that. I've been just living in the in America for like forever with all of my family. So even and then you know the same thing with white people, and then I don't know. And it's to the point that yeah, I'm American, but when people ask me where I'm from, I, I I'm from Texas. So you know Texans are different. They rep they state like it's a country because it once was a country. So I'm always like I'm from Texas, <laughs> like the state in the bottom of America, if you want to know. But that's with all people, no matter where I go, I always have to explain my backstory or of America. And even when I'm in Asia, when I was in China, I, I dead ass was like, I'm from America. And they're like, oh, so your mother's from China? Cause you know, they see the curly hair and all that. And I'm like, you know what? Sure. They, they think my dad is a dark skinned guy who played basketball. My mom just, you know, married him. She's from China and they made this mixed brown kid. And, you know, people have all these stories for you before they even know you, before they even talk to you, regardless of where you're from. So I just said, forget it. And when 
Black Africans always ask me or always look at me crazy when I say American. I just say, why are you looking at me like that? You've seen Denzel Washington movies. You've seen Jamie Foxx movies. You know they're from America. And you know they look just like me. <laughs> so I remember at times, like, and this is like, we touched on this like a couple of subjects back. Like it's changed now. But I remember like people would even be ashamed of their skin color. Like if you were like dark skinned, I remember where it was like, wasn't cool to be like dark skinned. Like people would crack, you talk about the African booty scratcher jokes. Like people would make jokes like about the dark skinned girl or the dark skinned boy. Like, yeah, like it's changed just a little bit. Like, but back then it was like, yo, they was shame. It was was really bad. It was like a pick a side. Like you have to pick a side situation. Cause me being a brown skin girl, I would always look at the light skin girls like y'all crazy. And like the dark skin girls like y'all crazy because my mom is light skin, right? So my dad is dark. So that's how I have brown skin. And, And you know, black people make all types of skin tones. So my younger sister, she's dark skin. And so I'm like, I live in the household with a light bright and a little dark chocolate cutie. So I mean, I'm just here in the middle watching y'all act a fool when in actuality, you're really like battling over evolution. You're battling over who was closer to the equator. You're battling over protection from the sun. Like our skin are different colors because of those things. Like if I'm in Africa for a long time, I turn dark skin. Why? Because it's protecting me from being close to the equator. So, I mean, you're really like, talking mess over science and over just ancestral dna so it's crazy and it goes back to to culture we say it all the time culture is taught at home you can't expect your kids to go to school and be taught their culture like my wife and i we make a point every day like from the point where my boys and my daughter were in the room we were we i call them up tell my boys every day you're handsome and tell my daughter every day you are beautiful so now when they go out into the world you don't need validation from anybody else like right. you've been told that from start to finish. Yep, it's it's wild. So I mean, it's the same thing in the African culture. You know, um, ble- bleach and cream is it's one of the top sellers over there. So yo, I see. P- is that like a trend now? I see people on social media like doing that. Like now, like mm-hmm. like that's like a trend now. Like that's crazy. Like. Like, how ashamed of you? To me, I think that's you're just ashamed of who you are to go to far as I don't want to be this skin color anymore. I want to be white. It, it's just it's just good advertisement, right? So white skin has been advertised for so long that mentally you feel like that's what I should look like. It was, um, I forgot what it was. It was years ago. It was an article and it was like the most beautiful creature in the world was a white woman. And I beg to differ, like... Oh, bro, look, I, I, I got this for you, and this tripped me out. If you Google any country, right, beautiful women in this country, in that country, whatever, around the world, especially America, it's only going to be white women that pop up. Yeah. It's like even the Internet is biased because that's how it's been programmed. It's like you can Google most beautiful woman in France or and clearly they have black like millions of black black people there right you can google those things and on, only white women will pop up 
only white women will pop up. And it's the, the, the same thing with, with, with men. Even these dating sites, I was reading an uh, article about how biased they are against Black people. So that's why, like, they actually have an algorithm on there where if you say, okay, I want this search, this area, whatever, it's only going to show you white people. It's not, and, and it can clearly be a bunch of Black, black people on those sites. I was just like, man, crazy. But yeah, media film magazines it's like this is what our our young brothers and sisters everywhere in the world grow up looking at unfortunately and so they think that they need to be white right so so i wanted to ask you this with all of your travels um where would you live if you live permanently abroad outside of the u.s i will live in Mauritius. I've already thought about it. I already want to move there. <laughs> Talk about it's Mauritius, yeah. Island country off the eastern coast of Africa. Um, I just like it. Like, it's a mix of um, people of African descent and, and those from India or like from Malaysia or Indonesia. Um, I don't know. It's like an island vibe, but also still big enough to give you city vibes. Um, the people are nice. Um, I look like them. That's always a plus, right? You don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. Um, it's a tax haven. Um, <laughs> so, so many good things. I wanted to like get out of there. I, I could just like, they, they have like daily flights to Johannesburg. And I just fly anywhere. Um, it just seemed like a chill place. Like I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of water, but it, it, it's a big enough island for me to be okay there. What? You're not a fan of water. Um, <laughs> I like on land. <laughs> what? That is crazy. That's why why most people do go on vacations to just be by the beach and be by the water. Okay. You know, I want to ask you this too, since you brought up tax haven. Um, how hard is it to manage business while traveling? Oh, it's super hard. Like after this trip, I'm gonna need to have like an assistant or something while while I'm traveling to continue. Um, because like on this last trip, I got sick and I couldn't. I couldn't be in top tier like I'm usually am and like, you know, sending out the emails and doing this and doing that. So, um, yeah, I feel like my life is on halt when I travel and I'm like, dang, I could actually be like be more productive. If I just had, um, I don't know, someone else to take care of over when I'm when I'm gone. It's just like I just hate like having someone else write my emails and having someone else do that because it feels less authentic and they may say the wrong thing and then I have to like go back and fix it <laughs> after they mess it up so um yeah it's pretty challenging yeah I feel like you're super on on top of things it's, it's never a time where I, I I shot you a dm on ig or anything like that and you just reply it right back like okay cool look let's do it this time this, okay cool I got you you know what I mean it's just like you're just on on top of everything so definitely appreciate that because there's been times when people they didn't reply so <laughs> we, we 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 know how that is um you just dropped a couple of books right yeah so i have american presidential parties their relevance to people of african descent so it's basically about like everything that presidents have done and didn't do for people of african descent all the way from george washington to donald trump and then i have the rain africa which is a children's book about um 20 different ethnic groups in Africa and you know what their culture is like and I'm about to drop the rain North and South America which is about how people of African descent got to Americas got to the Americas what their culture is and um like some of the injustices that they are still facing 
then did you drop a children's book as well right so that's the rain the rain series so i have the rain africa out now the rain north and south america coming out soon and then i'll eventually end it off with the rain asia and oceana so just targeting um different ethnic groups of people of african descent all over the world so um children of african descent to know that we everywhere we are not a minority that's that's dope that's dope um and be, before we close out uh usually willie does this part but he looked like he chilling right now so i'm gonna go ahead and do it um what would you say to the people um what would be your message with all of your travels all of your your um ambition with all of your hustle and everything that you are in pursuit of um especially to our people who might not know their greatness, what would your message be to them? Um, I would just say, keep going. We need you. It's an uphill battle um, for people of African descent all over the world. Um, we have been taught things that are not true. Um, we have been taught that we are less than when clearly um, every time we've tried to have our own thing, um, it's been rioted, it's been burnt down. They, um, people outside of our culture have this crazy like mental psychotic thing where um, they want us to always need them, but um, we don't need anybody but ourselves. We come from the continent of Africa, the first, um, we come from the first people. Um, you can't have other ethnicities without us, right? So. Um, you can you can get light out of dark but you can't get dark out of light um so i just want you to remember that to be prideful in um where you come from to be prideful in what your ancestors have overcame because you're still here um and to push us forward the next generations are looking at us and um we have the power to change whatever you want to change because obviously um we're still going and we're still fighting so um keep your head up don't let anyone take your peace, keep your pride, and keep pushing. Love it, love it. Where can the people find you? You can find me on all socials at Miss C Nicole. So that's M S and then the word, the letter C, and then N I C H O L E, or cnicole.com. And that will link you to Pan African Think Tank, which is panafricantt.org or at panafricantt. Yes, those are two words, T T. Um, and then you can find the books at panafricanpublishing.com or panafricanph on all socials for Pan African Publishing House. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> nice, nice. And before we wrap up, what's the next country on the list? What's 2021? Oh, okay. I'm sorry, bro. What's the next country on the list? Um, honestly, right now, it's just Mexico for a wedding. Um, I've already been though, and then I have to do some more things for Pan African Think Tank. So uh, we'll be going to Jamaica, Panama, Colombia, and Suriname. I've already been to those two. So um, no new countries for a while, which is fine because I don't think any of the new countries that I want to go to are open because of COVID. Um, so I, I want to actually dive into Oceania, like Fiji, Vanuatu, um, places like that. And they're not letting us in right now. So I have to wait to 2022 for those. <laughs> Thanks for checking out this episode of the Black Culture Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to smash that like button and also subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Apple, Google and Spotify. And also 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. Peace. Peace.